There's no one right way to life, wife, or parent. I'm an empty nester with a full life. I'm a young mom who is sometimes running on empty. I am color in the lines. I'm running with scissors. I'm sensible shoes, sometimes taking myself far too seriously. I'm holding it together with three bobby pins and a lot of self-deprecating humor. I'm Aunt Mara, an emotional health therapist. I'm Nis Kira, a wellness advocate. Together, we're Sandy and Shwani, bridging generations to pass down wisdom, uptake vitality, take whatever is bringing you down, and lift you up. Table talk with takeaways for an elevated life today. We're Mood Mamas. <laughs> <laughs>
And you know, I'm probably just going to take one class a semester or something, not overwhelm myself. But it was like we talked about, it kind of sparked me when I thought in 10 years, if I don't do this, nothing will have happened. And in 10 years, if I do it, that was how I got my AA already is I would just take one class a semester, had little kids and just the time goes by without it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's good that you're managing it like that. I would really like to add, do more exciting things. That was my thing last year. I just felt like I was in such a rut. You know, you go to your same favorite restaurant, you always order the same thing. So we actually went out to a restaurant once and a steakhouse and I ordered prime rib and my husband looks at me and he's like, you never order that. I'm like, I know I'm branching out. I'm trying something new. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's really great. These little decisions that you're making, even if it's at a restaurant, you're setting up this new character that can help build on these smaller decisions. You can make bigger decisions, bigger, exciting choices, and feel like you're a person of spontaneity or someone that can you know, change the rule book. And I think that's a great way to start is just figuring out something else you want on the menu. Perfect. Yeah. Have you ever heard the definition of insanity? No, not the real one. I don't know. I mean, I've heard the definition of insanity of like doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, but I don't know if that's actually the definition. No, that's the one I was talking about. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I've never actually, like, we should Webster this. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. I think whoever coined that definition made a lot of sense because so many times we want things to change, but we're not willing to change. I saw this awesome meme. It was like, there were two lines and one said, lifestyle change, there's nobody in the line. And the other line is like medication and surgery. You know, there's a million people in that line. And so many things we do have control over just with some lifestyle changes, we can be so much healthier. Right. Okay. So I once heard whether or not you look at a glass half full or half empty, studies have shown it depends on how that glass is framed. So if I told you there was this study and it had a 30% fail rate, you're going to hold on to that versus if I told you all about the study and I said it had a 70% success rate. So I think the way that we frame it, you may have a line that says lifestyle change, but then you have this other line that's like wealth or, you know, summer body or something like that. And so we're signing up for that, but not realizing what it entails. And looking at this, it was talking about like how to pick your goals Obviously, you're wanting change. If you're setting goals, then you're hungry for it. Something's got to give in your life. But unless we look at it with our eyes open, the failure to consider corresponding what, where, when, and why may cause you to lack the ability to truly ask yourself if you're ready to make the necessary changes. It's like the lack of connection and motivation doesn't necessarily mean that your goals aren't representative of your dreams. It may simply be that the goals, that you set then, it don't matter to you as much as what you're doing in the present time. Absolutely. You totally nailed it with that word motivation because the best way to cultivate the energy for change is to understand why we desire that change in the first place. You might have someone who is overweight and if they think, oh, I just want to lose weight to quote, feel better, that's not going to be enough of an impetus because you know what? Eating a chocolate bar might make them feel better in the short term. But My if you, brain is really good at justifications just like that. <laughs> <laughs> but if they realize I want to be able to run and play with my kids, I want to not have that knee replacement surgery, then those are greater motivators. Right. Specific motivators. I think specificity and figuring out what you really want and willing to figure out how you're going to stand in your own way. 
if you know the whys, then you're able to conjure what the obstacles could possibly be. I think I'm my own biggest obstacle. Life? No, no, I can tackle <laughs> life, but I am really good at justifying. I'm really good at making excuses. And so if I know what excuses I will make, I can counter that by being specific and knowing the why. That is such a powerful tool to look ahead and already have a plan for those obstacles. That is really, really powerful. And so maybe what are some of those things that you can do to push through when you see that obstacle? How can you pre-plan to overcome that? Okay, we'll we'll take the losing weight goal. Google's listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) You said lose weight and it just all of a sudden is like, several suggestions for you. Here's the gym. Here's the diet plan. I know. Watch. I'm going to get like five gym memberships in my email. (laughs) (laughs) All those little sidebar ads. Yeah. Yeah. I already have a gym, Google. It's fine. I've got this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if I know I'm not a morning person, I know that like getting up and working out beforehand, it's not going to work out for me. So if I want to be someone that works out every day, I need to pick a different time and then reinforce that. Lately, I've been working out in the afternoon. And I found out that it helps your circadian rhythm. A lot of people get that slump at 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. For sure. time. And so it combats that. And then you're not doing it right before bed either. And so you're not having to schedule it around dinner time and honey's getting home. And but then you have to shower twice a day or do you just go stinky all day? <laughs> well, I mean, so showering at the gym, that's another thing. So I bring my towel with me. I shower at the gym. I don't wash my hair. Dry shampoo. <laughs> it helps it. It extends a that girl's bed. best friend. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how my scalp feels about it, but you know, I don't look super nasty. <laughs> oh no, they actually say it's better to not wash your hair every day. Americans are the only ones who do that. It's really weird. I know. That's why my hair doesn't grow, I think. Yeah, so just shower off and I'm doing that at the gym. I budget that into my time. So I'm going to the gym for more energy. My main That's focus. That's a good why. Most people are more successful in following through with a goal if they have a buddy. I mean, that's why, you know, if you have a walking buddy or a gym buddy that you meet up with, that helps you be accountable. It's like, oh, I can't let them down. Or I look forward to the gab fest that we're going to have. No, <laughs> it's help. I have a gym pass with my best friend and it is nice. She makes it an easier excuse to go like, oh, but we can catch up. Or if I'm not really in the mood because I just am you know, have a lot on my mind. I'm like, oh, but I can work out, make my body healthy and my heart healthy with this gab fest. <laughs> you know, about 10 years ago, I did Weight Watchers and this sounds ironic, but there were a bunch of us that were doing it together. And after our weigh-in, we would then go to lunch. Now I know that sounds counterintuitive, but we were all on the same program. So we would actually have a healthy lunch, but it was the socialization. It was celebrating each other and it worked for me. It was very effective at that time. I think so. I Now, when I call my doctor and it puts me on hold, it tells me all these things I can do to help my lifestyle. And one of the important things they're saying is social interaction, is that bonding and connection that it feeds your body just as much. And so killing two birds with one stone that way. But yeah, knowing my weaknesses, knowing if I'm not in the mood, what will I do? I know when I was working, I changed at my office before I went to the gym because Mm -hmm then I'm already dressed for it. I'm not just going to sit back down at my desk when I'm in these workout clothes and keep going with things. I had to, <laughs> I had to leave at that point. And sometimes I noticed if I didn't change, I'm like, oh, I'll just change at the gym. Well, I would just meander down the road and there was a Taco Bell a lot closer. It's, the Taco Bell was in between me and the gym. <laughs> and sometimes Taco Bell won a lot if I wasn't already dressed. 
question. Right. That makes so much sense. So we have to put, implement the path of least resistance. If your gym shoes are right there waiting for you, instead of I've got to go hunt my shoes out, you're more likely to go on that walk. I had a relative who was a smoker and she said it was a really cold winter and she ran out of cigarettes. She said, I just couldn't bring myself to get in the car and drive 20 minutes to go get cigarettes. And she said, I ended up stopping smoking because I was too lazy to go to the store. Bravo. Right. Actually, I do hear a lot of people quit smoking in the wintertime because they don't want to go outside. It's too cold. Path of least resistance. Not bundled up to go outside. <laughs> so that's cool. There is an interesting book by Jen Shirkani, and it's called Choose Resilience, Break Out of Your Comfort Zone Using the Power of Emotional Intelligence. We have your IQ your intelligence quotient, but they've also started to talk about your emotional intelligence, which are bonobos. <laughs> bonobos? Wait. <laughs> like bonobos. Between chimpanzees and bonobos, chimpanzees are the tool ancestors. Bonobos are the connection. They're the ones that they can interact with each other. They can do collaborative skills, even with a bonobo that's not part of their family. They're monkey ancestors, but they work well together. Why do we not know bonobos? I'm like, is that like some new lexicon? <laughs> because we were so focused on chimpanzees. We were so focused on that relation and the similarities. And so they use tools, but bonobos, they don't argue with each other. They have high emotional intelligence. They live in big groups where the family is what's important and they thrive. They're still thriving because of it. So they know their why. The, the why factor for them. Their family is important and they're able to achieve those things. That's cool. Bonobos. Okay. That's the buzzword of the day. Bonobos. Bonobos. Emotional <laughs> intelligence. Like there are certain levels of intelligence. I mean, you've got math, you've got analytical, but emotional intelligence, I think can give you your why, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe a lot better than just, I don't know. I'm not super passionate about math. So maybe other people are like, but the answers are here and it makes <laughs> sense and it's easy. So I don't want to shun that. But. Well, in her book, Shirkani encourages people to find what she calls the spark to move. And so you think about it, like you changing into your clothes, that's like lighting the match. It's like starting that spark that will give you that rocket fuel to continue. So she suggests eight common motivators to help people find their why. And it'll be interesting just to kind of run through these and see what they are. So number one, she suggests recognition. You're energized by public acknowledgement, by people praising you and valuing what you do. Look at me. Look what <laughs> I've done here. I did this thing. <laughs> well, it makes it sound like a bad thing. You know, that no, it's not. I think we're all fueled by that. We want kudos. Absolutely. And it does feel good when people recognize that you've done something. It can also be the fear of letting someone else down that not showing up at the gym so that you don't disappoint your friend. Or if you made a promise, you know, they actually said that making a goal public helps people follow through a lot better. So if you post on Facebook, like this is the year I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro, or this is the year that I'm going to finish my degree, whatever it is, by making it public, it does hold you accountable in a whole new way. Right? I've got my shame bell ready, like shame, you didn't do it. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be quite the risk. You'd have to be accountable at that point. Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully it's not because you're afraid of people mocking you. Yes, it is that. It is that fear. The fear of failure and the shame that comes along with it. 
<laughs> yeah, I think recognition can be a two-edged sword. It can be either a healthy motivator or it can be unhealthy where if you're looking for the likes and you don't get those, that that would be demotivating because really I think it has to come from deeper inside of you. Right. That should definitely be your reason. Yeah. It just would add to the failure of not, of not accomplishing it more. I'm mad at myself and the world thinks I failed. Okay. Number two, challenge. These are people who get a high from fixing things. Other people can't. They are excited to create a solution to a difficult situation. They're the thinkers, the dreamers. These are people who we need in the world. This is where I have ran into problems. If Cody's like, well, it just can't be done. I'm like, ooh, let's do it. Like, <laughs> and he's like, no, I've already thought this through. I'm 10 paces ahead of you. And I haven't worked out all the details, but he says we can't do something. I'm like, why not? <laughs> let's, I think that means we should try. <laughs> <laughs> You've just laid down the gauntlet of challenge. Ooh. Challenge accepted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think the challenge can be fun if we collaborate though. I think if we're reaching for a goal, it always helps to have a mentor or an example. They've actually shown in studies that having even a celebrity crush or a celebrity inspiration is inspiring. There's so many people who as a child, you know, watch some Olympic skater and then that's when they started ice skating. I even cut my hair into the Dorothy Hamill. You don't even know who she is, but she was... <laughs> This was back in the 70s. I think she was the Olympic gold medalist for figure skating. Back in that era, all the girls cut their hair in this little short pixie because that was the Dorothy Hamill haircut. <laughs> hey, Michelle Kwan, I wanted to be an ice princess too, like river dancing and ice princess. <laughs> These were the goals when I was a child. <laughs> we still go ice skating every Valentine's Day. Oh, that that's is so that's cool. family. And I can feel like I'm Michelle Quad. I've learned how to skate backwards. It's a big deal. Ooh, ah. <laughs> okay, number three, opportunity for growth. So these are people who are energized and feel alive when they're learning. They take opportunities to develop themselves. To have that. Like I keep saying like, oh yeah, growth mindset. I want to be a forever learner until I'm actually doing it. And I'm like, oh, but it's so hard. I want to go to back to what's comfortable and when I feel successful and competent. So I want this, but really do I? <laughs> That's so not true. I look at you. I look at your generation and you guys learn so much from your podcasts. My son, he does a lot of driving, and so he listens to stuff you should know. It's like you know, how salt works or where condensation comes from. There's so many aspects of how stuff works. Like electricity. I couldn't tell you how that works. Yeah. I turn on a light, and there it is. <laughs> they had a podcast on how to ship a dead body. I mean, <laughs> you can learn anything. Like, you've never thought of that? What happened if you're on, on vacation? There's Freakonomics. There's parenting podcasts. Those are all opportunities for growth. So don't shortchange yourself. You do that all the time. There was one time quantum physics seemed really fun. I really got into it for a bit of like, okay, grandfather paradox. I never could do like the algorithm, the math for it. But I understand the basic principle. Mostly if you look at something like water to boil, it will take longer. I think that that's related, right? <laughs> By viewing the subject, it changes the, the circumstance. I think quantum physics is the secret. That is where our intention or observing something changes the outcome. Right. But sometimes by viewing something, it doesn't happen. 
But where did that rule come from? The watch pot never boils. If you're watching it, <laughs> you've never been waiting for something it's to boil. It's loosely based. It's loosely <laughs> based. I just feel like, you know, watching the microwave spin, that, that's the longest three minutes of your life. It's so just getting true. it six minutes look, if it's lasagna. <laughs> look away, look away. <laughs> Speaking of the secret, I know a lot of us really got into that. Oh, my dad, Clary and I both got to miss school to be home and watch the secret. We watched it four times that day. And then there was a time that my husband, we used to hang out with a couple friend when we first got married. My husband and his best friend got into it. It got to the point that don't be talking about our finances because checks are coming in the mail. And they're like, mm, this has gone too far. <laughs> I'm going to give you a trick for that, but not yet, because okay. I have something really cool in store. So listen in, stay with us. Okay. We're going to go on to number four. This is another motivator, career advancement. So this is the person who derives satisfaction from building up their responsibilities at work, progressing up that organizational chart, maybe climbing uh, the ladder. Yes. <laughs> or spinning off and starting their own business. You know, sometimes we have to look at opportunities or challenges as an opportunity. When my husband was let go from his work 20 years ago, we wondered what we were going to do, but he'd always wanted to have his own business. And had he not been let go, I don't think we ever would have had the courage to leave a quote, real job and go out and start his own business. And yet it's turned out to be fantastic. He's never been happier. I'm really glad he did. It suits him. Uncover things that you're good at and maybe show a new side of yourself at work. You know, ask for more responsibility or more opportunities or suggest something and don't care who gets the credit. There are opportunities for career advancement and that can be seriously motivating. That's what's happening with Cody. Actually, he just got transferred to a new team. He asked his HR for a stand-up desk. And so it just got delivered today. Stand-up desk. It's like a whole new Cody. He says he's more social and talkative. That's, that's cool. What a great idea because that's actually fulfilling two goals because it helps you be healthier. Right? They say, you know, sitting is the new smoking. <laughs> so this kind of ties in with career, but money is a motivator. There are people who feel motivated by working to earn a bonus or a commission, financial rewards. I think money is more motivating if we look at even the why behind that. Why do you want money? I want money so I can travel. I want money so that we can build an addition. Whatever that money is motivating you. Because money is just an exchange. It's just energy. And so we don't want to focus on the actual bank account number per se. What's more important is the motivation. Right. Whenever we'd go to dinner and we were on a budget, it's like, I mean, we always are on a budget, but I mean, maybe we've tightened our budget. It's like, I'm not going to pay that. I had to work an hour to pay that. Is that worth it? I guess it depends on what type of hour it was at work, but there were some stressful hours where it's like, mm -mm, no, no, that's not worth it. We can not do that. How much did I have to work to afford that television? How many hours did it take? That is a brilliant strategy to extrapolate that out and recognize your value ratio. Right. I heard a quote, look around at all these things that used to be money. Mm. That's all these things that used to be money as I was cleaning out my garage. I'm like, oh, so much money. <laughs> oh, do you ever look at your closet and think the same thing? I think just even say everything in there was $10 or maybe $20. I mean, first of all, I'm kind of a hoarder with clothes because I think I'm hard to fit. So then I don't dare get rid of something because it is so hard to find a pair of pants that fits. <laughs> right. Or if they don't fit me right now, I could end up fitting in them later. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> it's okay. We can just wear it camping. 
that's my problem. That's Nana's problem. It's my mom's. It's my sister's. We're all trying. <laughs> yeah. Or I might need a pair of pants for painting. Like that ever happens in my life. <laughs> Then when it does, then it's just like this cognitive biasy, that one time that you happen to use something. That's so funny. Well, so along with money, there's also incentives. So some people, like we said, it's not even just the tangible dollars. It's earning a prize. It could be a recognition at work. You are the salesman of the year or the most improved. Sometimes it's just the thrill of winning. I hate to admit it, but I am pretty competitive. I totally won Monopoly last night. I killed Sabella and Cody, like breaking in all the money. I was only generous once when she had to give up Peach's castle. And I'm like, you have to bid on it. So I'll give you 10 coins for this. I could have probably got her for three. She was down and out. She had one property, <laughs> like three coins left. There was nothing. You foreclosed on your daughter. <laughs> I was pretty ruthless. I'm very competitive. I'm guessing this isn't normal Monopoly. It's Mario Monopoly. Like okay. Bowser, and I was Yoshi, and I had all these awesome power-ups. <laughs> They're going to wish they were Yoshi. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, let's look at another motivator. This one is very altruistic. It's making a difference. When you have a goal or when you're working to improve the lives of others or contribute to society, that can be so sustaining it can be motivating because there's nothing that feels better than knowing that you are making a difference. Sometimes we feel like we have to change a lot of lives and sometimes it can just be one life. It can just be that one thing showing up for somebody who might be lonely. I have a good friend whose son committed suicide. Oh. And so instead of mourning that day, so on the 25th of the month, she goes out and she delivers little lunches or goodie bags to homeless people. She was doing 25 of them every month and it was starting to get to be an expense because she was trying to put these things in. And so then she invited people in the community to help out and they did a Christmas project. I think they had 400 bags ready for the homeless and they got donations now from Walmart and other places. Bombas donated socks because they say homeless need socks more than anything. It was just such a wonderful thing turning this tragedy into making a difference in the lives of others. Wow, that is huge. Oh my goodness. They say with millennials in job places that money isn't in the workforce, isn't necessarily the highest motivator right now. Oh yeah. I've heard as an employer, you need to treat millennials as volunteers if you want them to stay. Our little special snowflakes. <laughs> uh, says a special snowflake, unique and different, just like everybody else, that they want to feel like they're part of something bigger. It makes me think a lot about the planet. Sometimes I feel like, well, why should I make the change? Maybe I'll just keep using that straw. Maybe. <laughs> Those plastic bags from Walmart. The grocery right. bags. Ugh. Right. Cody, my lovely, wonderful hippie husband, we hosted an ugly sweater party. And he put on the invite, bring your own cup. And I'm like, Cody, bring your own cup. No, the, no one's going to do that. No, let's, it's nice that you put that on there, but let's have a backup plan. Can we also buy some plastic cups? And it's like, no, we're sticking to our convictions here. I'm like, but do you know what I love about him is when we had our family reunion this summer, he suggested that instead of going through, you know, 400 paper plates and all of these things that people bring their own dishes. He didn't enforce that on everyone else. It was wonderful to see how many members of the family actually did bring their own plates and silverware that was reusable and washable. And we had so much fun doing dishes and all of that. So I was grateful for him for pointing that out, but I don't feel like he judged anyone who didn't participate for that. We had a cousin who was like, you know what? I'm bringing paper plates. 
So there, you can't stop me. He's like, I'm right. supporting the timber industry in Idaho. <laughs> timber industry in Idaho. He is good like that. And, and honestly, we did provide some cups, our glasses, and I got help with dishes at the end of the night from some friends that were still around and it worked. But it's hard to be that person. What difference do I make? What type of impact can it be if I start recycling or global warming? Like, what can I do? Should I eat more chicken versus beef? Because everybody else is also going to beef the Western hemisphere, at least, we're going to eat a lot of beef. And is it worth it to make the change and miss out where everybody else isn't? What can I do but be the change you want to see in the world, I guess? Yes. Yes. Maybe enough people will catch on. It means something to that one little sea turtle that didn't get a straw stuck up his nose. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So thinking that you're making a difference with this goal that you have, do you think that would motivate you? I made a promise to Sabella last year that before the end of the year is up, we will get a recycling bin. I don't know if I'm motivated by the fact that I am making a difference. I hope that that maybe plays a little bit of a part, but I'm like, I can't let down my child. She wants to be better. I have to be better for her. So I love that. That's a powerful motivator, keeping a promise to a child or encouraging them in their dreams. Kids are so altruistic. They have a desire to do good in the world, to make a difference. She does. And so I can't just push it off because I I definitely want to incentivize that, that she can make a difference and feel like she's heard and that's a positive thing to care about the planet. So, but it seems daunting to me. I feel bad to admit that I've never recycled before. And so it's like, I don't even know where to begin. But they will tell you, don't you worry. They will hold your hand. (laughs) I thought you were going to have to have a bin and then you were going to have to load it in the car and take it somewhere. So, ah. No, no, it's actually a lot easier than that. Okay, one (laughs) phone call today and it's done. You're going to do it. Right. Am I holding you accountable? Yes, now I'm accountable. (laughs) And the world is going to hold me accountable. (laughs) We'll check back on you. Stay tuned. The last thing that Jen suggested was work-life balance. We have more energy to participate, to engage in life when we have flexibility in our schedule. Our families are motivating, just like you were talking about. When you make a promise to a child, you don't want to let them down. So it can be friends, it can be hobbies, but you need that balance to recharge. It can't be all about work. There has to be the other motivation. Or if you are working, you need to share that with the family. You know what? I'm going to put in a few extra hours so that we can take that trip and ask them if that's what they want. Mostly love is spelled T-I-M-E. Kids would rather have you than stuff. Right. That's so true. I once really struggled with work-life balance. I really gave my all to the company and it was difficult because that was more immediate when I was at the office. You have somebody, you have a boss, you have a manager, a teammate that you don't want to let down, projects that rest on your shoulders that are immediately there rather than you know at home and seeing disappointed faces later on, but it's not a consequence that you're facing right then. I think what has helped Cody have such good life balance are routines. He always leaves work at 5.30 always. It doesn't matter. He doesn't work past that time. He set that boundary. And then it's not a question that comes up. Everyone knows he leaves at that time. He goes in at the same time. And the only variable would be whether or not he takes a lunch. And so by keeping this routine, I think his company knows he's like clockwork. He's there when he says he's going to be there and he leaves when he says he's going to. I mean, more or less, regardless of what's on his plate, and maybe that makes him not the yes man of the office, but I think a lot of people respect that. And I hope 
the next company I go into, I can have that be a routine because that work-life balance is, even if I know my why, it's really hard to keep. Oh, for sure. That's good that he's that kind of example for you as well. Yeah. So they've talked about that actually habits are more important than just a resolution or even maybe a goal because about a third of our life is on autopilot. And if you build in that routine, you just don't even have to think about it. You get up, brush your teeth. I mean, whatever it is, you have these routines that you don't even have to think about. How many times have we driven somewhere? You're like, oh, how did I get here? I didn't even remember. Wow. All of a sudden I'm here. That's kind of always a scary thought for me. <laughs> like, I don't even remember the last 10 minutes. <laughs> But it was interesting, this study, they were talking about self-control versus willpower. Self-control is actually a limited resource. Now, I thought this was really fascinating. They said it's almost like a muscle. In one study, the participants first had to resist the temptation to eat chocolate. So they gave them a radish instead. Ugh, radishes can be so bitter. And so these people were given the radish and then they were given this frustrating task to do. And the test was to see how long they would persist or keep working at the task that they were given. So the radish eaters only persisted on the task for eight minutes, while those who had gorged on chocolate kept going for 19 minutes. <laughs> so this mere act of exerting willpower had sapped their strength for future frustrations and attempts at doing something. Hence the work-life balance. I can't tell you how many times I went grocery shopping after work and I'm like, I'm taking this because I deserve it. And these Cheetos and Doritos and, and Lay's potato chips and popsicles. Oh my gosh. I don't know why I want popsicles in February, but I deserve popsicles in February. All of my resources were drained. Recognizing that your level of self-control when it's low, you need to make a plan for that time. Right. Like being on autopilot, like, as you said, habits are going to help with that because if you're making a conscious decision every single day on four or five of these resolutions that you've set up or even just one, if you've had to be that active, your willpower is going to go down. I know that Steve Jobs wore the same thing every single day because he woke up in the morning and he would just put on what he always did and he didn't want to expend any energy on that decision. Ooh, that's cool. That is one of the reasons that they have school uniforms. I mean, that does relieve stress for a child trying to like, well, how do I fit in or what do I need to wear that people will like me? Right, right. Well, and I think indecision can be a sign that, that we are under a lot of stress, that our willpower is not as strong as we'd like it to be. Well, it's interesting that you brought up Steve Jobs because I found this article about what highly successful entrepreneurs have in common they talked about that they have these productive habits. So ultra successful people like Bill Gates, Richard Branson, Deepak Chopra, they compiled habits from all of them. They said there were 21. What were them that resonated with you? One was keeping a journal. And I think that can be really powerful. I think it can be a good place to vent when you're having a hard time. But I also think almost without exception, you can look back and say, gosh, it's amazing how things worked out when I was so hopeless. So I think that can be very powerful and a catharsis in the everyday life, but also motivating for when you're down or discouraged. I love that. This was funny. They talk to themselves in a mirror. <laughs> I'm not sure what they're saying. I'm Steve Jobs. <laughs> I knew I was successful. <laughs> There's the cutest video on YouTube about this little girl who's talking to herself in the mirror and telling herself how awesome she is. Have you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. She's like just singing to herself. I'm so awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm so awesome. I'm just singing a song. Make it up. 
Some other things that they talked about, these successful people are thankful. I think that's really important. Oh, they said that they prioritize their time, which completely makes sense. Okay, so I have a very full day, and you say this so haphazardly, I feel like, so, so nonchalantly, they prioritize their time. How does one prioritize their time? <laughs> I'm struggling today. Okay, it's called put the big rocks in first. You know this analogy. I'm sifting sand all day long. Yeah. <laughs> it feels super productive, but it's not making a dent. Yeah. You have to look at your life and say, am I spending my day putting out fires or am I actually accomplishing anything that I really wanted or needed to do? You have to look at when is your most productive time of the day and block that out. I think that's how you prioritize your time. If someone wants you to do something, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I already have an appointment. Even if it's an appointment with yourself from one to three, I'm going to turn off all external stimuli, put my phone on airplane mode and focus and get what I want done. Or know when I'm least productive, one to three, and I'm like, okay, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not going to do this really difficult task in that time period because it won't get done. Yeah. For me, morning is so powerful. If I can bust yeah. those things out, I know I'm going to have lower energy later in the day or things are yeah. going to come up. So I try not to schedule most appointments before 11 because I know if I'm going to get anything done, it's going to happen then. I tell myself it's okay. We will go to bed earlier tomorrow. <laughs> every night. Tomorrow we'll go to bed earlier. Well, I also did learn that if you're on a normal circadian rhythm where you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning, this is different for other professions like your EMS and your nurses that are up at all sorts of time. They'll, their rhythm will be off a little bit, but that there is a cortisol release at 11 p.m. that keeps you awake. Also, oh, if you're not asleep before, then you're in trouble. Yep. Then that's why you're super productive until midnight and then you're going to have a hard time falling asleep. Mm. And I mean, obviously it's not necessarily specific to 11, but there is a cortisol that will keep you going. That stress hormone that says you're going to be awake now because this is obviously what you want to do. So I will help you do the all the things. wind. <laughs> yes. I really liked this too. It said successful people, they don't sweat the small stuff and they forgive themselves and others. They don't give up on themselves, but they'll make changes when they're needed. Self-compassion is huge mm -hmm. and hard it, to have. Yeah. They don't make rash or emotional decisions and they listen to their intuition. And I do think there is that wisdom of the gut. There's that wisdom, those little promptings. I kind of have this rule that if I see something two times, that's really a signal. Your brain's fantastic. You're analyzing patterns and you're saying, hey, there's something here. That's incredible. Keep going. It would be like somebody recommending the same book, like twice in, in a week. Someone's like, oh, have you read this? And then someone else says it. And you're like, okay, I, I definitely need to read that book or watch that movie. You know, there's a message in that for me. Or you'll read an article and then suddenly you'll see something on TV too. And you're like, okay, this is a message. I'm always I, looking for messages. Although it says the successful people don't rely on luck. And I liked that. We actually have to take those little sparks of of motivation or interest and do something with it. Right. I mean, I'm not just going to fall into being an awesome figure skater. <laughs> <laughs> we might fall. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll fall a lot. <laughs> I like that. that. That makes me feel like I have more control over this situation. Mm. I like control. <laughs> okay. So on your list, you have, they enjoy money as a byproduct of their dream. What do you think that means? I think what we talked about earlier, that the money isn't the motivator. It's what you can do with the money. Like vacations yeah. and 
Well, and they say that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So trying to align your interests and your skill set with something that does improve the world. That's the most motivating thing of all. That's what I love about being an emotional health therapist is I love helping people and I love seeing the transformation in their life. People say, aren't you so drained at the end of the day? I'm like, no, no, I get energized by seeing people transform by helping them let go or forgive themselves or forgive others and then claim what they want moving forward. I love that. I think it's a rare thing though in today's world. I think there's so many people that don't work a job that they love. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find. I think another thing on here that was cool, it said they associate only with positive people. And that is a little bit tricky to do, but I do think that we do need to find a tribe that uplifts us. I think that could be part of that accountability thing. What do they say? You're the sum total of five of your closest friends. Financially, they can do that statistic and they can do your goals. I think that that has a huge impact on you what you're aspiring to or what you're comfortable with. Okay. So the last thing on this part is they love having fun and they celebrate. And I think that's really important. If we are going to actually achieve goals, if we're going to make changes in our life, we have to celebrate those baby steps along the way and have somebody who will be a cheerleader for us, somebody who will celebrate, whether it's an add a girl or, you know, the little applause hands or a party emoticon success breeds success. Right. I agree. A good little cheerleader. Yesterday was a pretty low production day and I was feeling kind of down about it. So I'm Marco Poloing my best friend and she says, but you're there in the car. You're picking up your daughter. That's really the only thing you had to accomplish today. You're fine. You've got this. Good job for being there on time. Gosh, it was so nice. I was already shaming myself that I didn't do what I wanted to with my time. It felt like a waste She's like, no, sometimes you need mental health days. And she's just in my corner. No shame, just positivity. And it was really wonderful. Compassion for me, even if I didn't have it for myself. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, we all need that. What's her number? <laughs> right? She's incredible. I'll tell you. It's actually the only one that, one of the only ones I know because it's super easy. It's just nine scores. <laughs> Call 555 now. <laughs> Right? She'll be like, where am I getting all these texts? <laughs> she loves making new friends. <laughs> okay. So how long, like if you're going to start these habits, like we've talked about, when am I actually there? Like when have I arrived at that habit? Goal oriented person here. I don't know. I always heard that it took 21 days to make a habit. Do you think that's true? Gosh, that makes me feel like silly. Like think of how many habits I could have had with just 21 days. <laughs> I did some research because I wanted to know if that actually applied. There was a study at University College London. They said it actually takes 66 days to completely break an old habit and can take much longer to master something new. That was a little bit discouraging to me. I'm like, 66? That's like two months. Yeah, but maybe that puts things in more realistic terms. I mean, okay, so what would you say? You have this goal, and I've once heard like motivations like showering. <laughs> It only lasts for you know a day or so. <laughs> you have to like keep building up your motivations. You have your goal, you have your why, you've looked at these obstacles of how you can be in your way. You've caught that spark, but how do you keep that spark after 30 days or after a week? I think one key would be to not let there be an exception. If you say, I'm going to give up sugar for 60 days completely and then never break that. If you have that first bite, that first cookie, then you're done for, right? Because then you're like, oh, I blew it. No, you don't think so? Okay, so I've had a friend that has quit smoking, but 
the way that they were describing it to me, like they did have a couple of slips, but instead of it being that they had to start all the way over, they still say, I've been smoke-free for five years. I've had two or three because only two or three that should be celebrated. And so she was still able to keep going instead of being like, well, I guess I have to start all the way over. I'm one day smoke-free sort of thing. I like the idea though, is that if you can set that there's no, no exceptions, right? That continuity is really important. To me, this guy who is probably the prequel to The Secret, his name is William James. Back in 1887, he said, when you make an exception, it is like you're winding up yarn and you're making this ball and you drop the ball and then you have to go back and you have to rewind all of that yarn again. So one slip can undo a lot. I think it can. Have you ever heard of Burning Man? You know, that big festival in the desert where people are lighting effigies and they're walking around and I don't know. I once thought it was like hippies in a desert. So my husband and I do a regional burn. What's it for? What are you burning? What does it represent? So it's like burning the man. It's different for a lot of people, but... Uh, like you're burning your ex or you're burning... <laughs> I mean, your abusive father. What are you talking about? So there are these effigies, which they can be designed. So it's like art built out of things that are flammable, I guess. And so there is more of a... I guess, reverent burn, which is like the temple burn. And sometimes that can be people will write quotes on it or say, I want to let this go, or this is for somebody. There's a more reverence to that. But then there's also this aspect of kind of like new beginnings, Phoenix sort of thing. It's so different for everyone. But the first time we went there, we were supposed to arrive for early arrival. The gates said that they closed at 10 p.m. You had to be there by 10 p.m. or you'd be sleeping in your car. And we get there and it's midnight. And we're like, holy crap. Oh no, they're not going to let us in. What do we do? The guy at the gate is a veteran burner and he let us in. He's like welcoming all of us. We get all the hugs and shows us where our camp area is. And he, I said, wait, I thought the gate was closed. And he said, we'd like to set a hard line, hard, hard line, and then be very forgiving afterwards. So I think a lot of people, that's what they do. They set these high expectations for this community, this culture that they're creating, but then that they're very forgiving if there is a slip up. And so everyone brings their best self and we've really tried to be there <laughs> before. We were so concerned about it um, and so apologetic and then we we're forgiven and that was moved on from. Well, and if you could take that into your daily life, you could be that forgiving with yourself. So instead of I slipped up, so I'm giving up, hey, there's some grace here and just keep going, keep going. Right. I hope I could be like that as a parent as well. I set a hard line, but then I can be very forgiving. Like there is still light. Not everything is undone. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up. One of the things that's really important when we talk about change and habits and goals is a lot of people use affirmations. So an affirmation is an I am statement that people say, again, kind of like that secret, they set this intention or you're trying to say like, I am rich and powerful or I am happy. What happens when we do that is the brain's like, well, I've seen my bank account. I know I'm not rich and I, I know I'm not influential. And so really nothing happens because it's just wishful thinking. And I ended up reading this book. It's called Affirmations. So instead of affirm, it's affirm, like we're forming something. You could go and pay a lot of money and I'm going to just give you this one nugget for free. So what he says is you can take your affirmation, but if you add the word why to the front of it, again, the brain is programmed to look for answers. So if you say, why am I so happy? 
then the brain is going to be looking for that. And you're going to see things all day long. Why am I so happy? Because look, I have this wonderful husband who's supporting me. I get to drive a fun car. Your brain will supply reasons for the why. So again, why am I so successful? Why do I attract people into my life who make me happy? Why am I living my dream? Give me some whys. What is something that you want to affirm in your life? And then you could add why to. What comes to mind actually is something that I said yesterday, but it's in, almost in reverse. I said that, you know, I'm kind of low. I'm, I'm kind of feeling though, but I feel like this is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was like the question of my day was, why do I feel so low? I started to notice certain things of like, okay, well, obviously I feel super stressed out, you know, indecisive. I changed my shirt three times back and forth and they were both black tank tops that I was wearing <laughs> underneath my cardigan. I started gathering data for this why, thus proving that I was low. And I was recognizing that this is what I was doing. So I was thinking, okay, I just need to reframe this. Actually, I just need to stop looking for that. I didn't think of reframing it like this is. If I search out the why of like, why am I so happy? Or why am I so blessed? Or why is today awesome? Whatever it is, that reframes it entirely of how do I know I'm still trying? How do I know that I'm still trying to make today better? And that I have a positive mindset and want to defy odds. That's a perfect illustration of that because that was where he got the idea. He said, we already ask ourselves so many negative questions. Why am I so dumb? Why can't I have what I want? And so instead flipping that into the positive and adding another word to that saying, why is it so easy? Why is it so easy for me to achieve this goal? Why is it so easy for me to make friends? Why is it so easy to save money? Why is it so easy to find bargains? Whatever those things are, when we add easy, Again, the brain is going to look for the easy path. I feel like I first have to start with the why, and then I'll, I'll do the why is it so easy. It feels like uh, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, we talked about this in an earlier podcast, I hope you win the lottery. Like It's going to sound like a lie at first, and maybe I'll get up to the point where, you know, but I do think that that is a good reframing. We're already doing that. Why not advocate for ourselves and for already puzzling over the whys, we can decide what that why is. Yeah. It's a brain hack to rewire that positivity into our brain. So why is it so easy to complete my new year's resolution? <laughs> <laughs> because I am awesome. X, Y, and Z fill in these blanks. Yes. Because I ask for support because I'm going to create habits. I'm going to set measurable goals. Specific. Yes. Don't they call it smart? Do you know the smart yeah, acronym? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant time-based, meaning that specific, know exactly what you want, measurable, how is this quantified? How will you know when it's achieved? What are you looking for? What are those indicators? Obtainable, which just, you need to be a little bit realistic, <laughs> unlike myself, you know? You have to you know, start small, baby step, relevant, the why, right? Wouldn't that be, that would fit under that category? Why do you want it? How is this going to help you live your best life? Why do you want it there? And going back to maybe times that you have failed, it wasn't your priority at the time. Find what is really going to be relevant and then time-based. So set a date when you need to check in with yourself. How is that goal going? What do you need to do to accomplish it? Just for us procrastinators, you can't just set a date when it's ending. You have to set a, a mid-date with yourself, like kind of like a midterm of like, this is how we're looking right now. How are we doing? <laughs> if we're going to be on track to achieve that goal. When you talked about relevance, it made me think about a quote. 
I think it's from the date movie with Mulroney. Oh, it's called The Wedding Date. She has to go to the wedding and so she doesn't want to go alone. So she hires this escort. Yes, this escort to go with her. And he tells her at one point, he says, every woman has the exact love life she thinks she deserves. It's really important to analyze, do we feel like we deserve that success? Do we deserve having the thing that we're reaching for? Because that will block us faster than anything else. Those limiting beliefs. So if you don't have the thing you want, you've got to ask yourself, why? What's the belief? And the best way to identify a limiting belief is a big audacious goal. So if I'm you- I'm good at that. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so when you set a really, really big goal, it's so easy for your mind to identify those limiting beliefs. So if you say- I'm going to earn a six-figure salary this year. Immediately, if you have a belief that's blocking that, you're going to come up with an idea like, oh, we're not those kind of people or, but then I'll be rich and rich people are greedy or selfish. You know, I had to sell my soul, my body or something to get that six figures. Like, what did it take to accomplish that? And so then you can look at that six-figure goal and say, what belief do I need to change? The belief that if I align my skill set and my dreams and my desire to serve people, the money is going to flow. Why is it so easy to earn $100,000 a year? We have the life we think that we deserve. We have to make sure that... Finding our value, right? Having the ability to know our worth and that it's intrinsic. Maybe that's the first affirmation. Why do I deserve to be happy? Hmm... Does that trigger something immediately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think that the brain does say like, okay, well, I think because I try to make others happy. Exactly. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. When you ask that question, the brain starts to say, because I am kind, because I do give service, because I do love the people around me, because I'm always giving back. I mean, whatever it is, the brain will supply those answers. So I just want to assure you, I want to assure our listeners that you are safe, worthy, and deserving of happiness. And anything you desire is within reach. Oh, you make me all teary-eyed. I needed that today. (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) You are safe, worthy, and deserving. Thank you. Yep. There's good things just ahead. Why is something wonderful going to happen today?